Church, he's the one who never leaves the one behind. That means God cares about you. Not just the people in this room, not just the person sitting next to you, but he cares about you. This morning, I want to look at the story of Jonah. Many of us grew up thinking, uh, hearing this story. This was the story of Jonah and the whale. How many of you remember the story of Jonah and the whale? Bible doesn't really call it a whale, but we call it a whale, and we don't know if it was a whale or not, but we know it was a big fish because it swallowed Jonah. And I want to open this story up and look at it this morning. Here's the one thing I want you to remember about this story. There is a little bit of Jonah in every single one of us. And I think as we open it up and look at it, you're going to say, oh, man, that's, that, that's true of me. I could easily see myself in that. A little bit of Jonah in every one of us. And let's just dive right into the first part of this. And you got to read the story of Jonah. Not hard to find it in the Bible. Just open your Bible up to the table of contents and look for Jonah's name and turn to that page and read the story. This is not a hard one. There are only four chapters, and you can read through the book of Jonah very quickly. You can read Jonah's story, even the stuff that I'm not going to cover this morning. You can read it when you leave here this afternoon or when you're watching the football game, if you're bummed out by the the score, which is entirely possible, I might add. You can read the story of Jonah, or you can read it tonight as you just kind of settle your evening in, and, and you're just really frustrated about what happened with football today. So t take advantage and read the story of Jonah. It starts out by saying, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. The word of the Lord. Here's the good news. The word of the Lord will come to you this morning. The word of the Lord will come to you as much as you want the word of the Lord to come to you. Because God is a God who speaks. He loves to speak. He has always been a God who speaks. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us clearly, when God, in the very beginning, when he started creating, he didn't even bring in any kind of construction crew. The Bible says he spoke. He spoke and there was light. There wasn't just darkness anymore. There was also light. And he spoke this planet into being. And he spoke the oceans onto, onto this planet. And everything that he created, he spoke it into being. The skies are scattered with stars, too numerous to count, that he spoke into being. This is not something that we can wrap our brain around, but that's who God is. There's nothing he can't do. There's nothing he doesn't know, and he never does anything wrong. And he created everything and created us so that he could have relationship with us. He didn't need us. He wanted us. The creator of the universe. And he's spoken. He's spoken throughout history. And he's spoken in different ways. When John the Baptist baptized Jesus and Jesus came out of the water, God audibly spoke and everyone heard him say, this 
is my beloved son, whom I love, whom I love. The creator of the universe spoke audibly. For thousands of years, he spoke through his prophets. There was always a prophet that he said, Jonah is one of those prophets that God actually spoke through to his people, the nation of Israel. Jonah's just one of them. God speaks through circumstances. He speaks through his Holy Spirit, who when Jesus left, he said, my Holy Spirit's going to live inside. When you become a follower of Christ, his Holy Spirit indwells you and begins this very process of changing you and changing me. And he speaks through his Holy Spirit and he speaks through his word. This is God's word. It is self-explanatory. It is self-descriptive. This is God's word. It's, a li it's living and active. Just like God is living and active, his word is living and active. And the Bible says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Any two-edged sword. No matter, no matter which way you swing it, it's going to cut clearly. It, it's going to do everything it needs to do. This is truth that is alive. It's truth that is living, and, and it transforms your life and my life. And, and God said, my word will never return void. In other words, it will never not work. It'll, it'll never come back having not done what I intended it to do. Always. Also says it's a, it's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It, it'll show me where I need to go and how I need to go there. You and I can do the things God wants us to do. When God speaks to us, and that's what I want to talk about this morning, when he speaks to us, we can do the things he asks us to do simply by being obedient. Here's the reality. Sometimes in some of our lives, God asks us to do something big. It's, it, there are just times where, where the decision is a big one or, or what we have to accomplish is a big one. But most of the time, for all of us, me included, here's, here's, what he, here's what he is doing with us. He's saying, okay, obey me in this, and we do it. And obey me in this, and we do it. And obey me in this, and we do it. And we're following Jesus. And because we're doing that, we're on a path that has a destination, and he's going he's gonna to get us to that destination by following him. Amen. His word transforms us. Let's jump back into Jonah. God says to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fee, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. God says, Jonah, I want you to go here. Jonah says, I'm not doing that. And he goes the other direction. Right there is a clue that there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. There, there just is. In Jonah chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And if you're taking notes, here's what I want you to write down. God will ask you to do things that you do not want to do. There are times in our lives as following, when we're following Christ that God asks us to do things, and we, and we just say, I, I don't want to do that. 
I, I don't want to do that. Do you know why most of the time we say that? Because we think we know better. Let, let me give you an example. Chocolate and vanilla. How many of you love chocolate? Okay, how many of you love vanilla? See, you think you know. You think you know what's best. And, and I think I know what's best. But we do that same thing with God. You know, we forget. There's nothing he doesn't know. There's nothing he can't do. And he knows everything about where your life is going, where it's going to go, where it's been. Knew all of this before you were even on the planet or the sparkle in daddy's eye. All before that, he knew it all. And, and he says to you and I, here's what I want you to do. And we say, no, I think I know better. Is there rationale there? Absolutely not. But that's what we do. We, 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 have, we, th we think we know. Look, he says to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. I got to tell you, there's a reason that Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Because if you look at, at Nineveh, see, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the history of Nineveh was not a good history. It was Israel's worst enemy. And the Bible gives us some clarity on, on, on what the Assyrian Empire was like. But you don't even have to just rely on that. You can go to the history books and open them up, and you can find out about the Assyrian Empire, and you can find out how they operated and what they did. And when they were in battle, what they did was beyond what other nations did by far. They would capture their enemies, and they would torture them. They, they, had such, they had such a reputation that there were villages, more than one, that when they heard that the Assyrian army was coming to overtake them, the entire village committed suicide because they knew that committing suicide was way better than what was going to happen to them if they let the Assyrians take them by capture. They would kill almost everybody. They would typically rape most of the women and then kill them. They had a history of torturing children. They would skin men alive and then bury them in the sand with only their heads sticking out. And when they finally died, they would cut their head off and they would collect all the heads and they would build little pyramids outside that city, letting everyone know that this place had been conquered by the Assyrians. And God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to them because their wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah, he's in Jerusalem. He, God wants him to go, and he goes, and he gets on a boat, and he's, he's getting out of there. I don't want to go there, is what Jonah's saying. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. In our lives, I, I got to tell you, I know that there are times when we specifically hear from God. 
It may be an impression. It, it may be, you, you may be listening to a message and you know God is tugging on your heart for whatever it is he's asking or he's calling. And so often our response is, but I don't want to. Something as simple as somebody hurt you or wronged you or hurt somebody that you love. And God is tugging on your heart to forgive them. Forgive them. And our, our response is, I, but I don't want to. I know so often I'll even talk about, the, talk about tithing and, and talk about giving. And, and Scripture is so clear about this. And the reality is we know that God entrusts us with, with our finances. And, he, and, and he, through his word, he says to you and I, he said, but I want, you to, I want you to give me an offering of the tithe, of the first 10%. And do that in worship to me. And then I'll take that 90% and I will boggle your mind with how I meet your needs. That, that's a paraphrase, but that's what he says. But so many of us respond and we say, but I don't want to. And, you know, we're so privileged here. We live in America. We have so much. We have freedoms that most of the world does not understand. And the reality is America is not your hope. America is not my, as much as I love our nation. And I'm unbelievably patriotic. God is my hope. I'm privileged to live here. The government is not my hope. It's a bit concerning how, how people are so, are so reliant on the government. The government's not your hope. God is your hope. He is our source. A thousand years from now, if Jesus doesn't come back sooner... The United States probably won't even be here, but the church will be here. God will be here. We, 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 we think that this is our hope. Or we're relying on this. God is our hope. It's interesting. You know, we're, come, we're in November. It was in, in November back in 62 or 3. You, most of you don't even remember back then, but I remember it when President Kennedy was assassinated. And, and over and over again through the years, we have heard him quote someone else who said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And yet the thinking has changed now. What, what can my government do for me? What can it give me? My hope is God. That's where my hope is. That's where your hope is. I know God wants me to, to do this or do that, but I, I, I just don't want to do that. And what we forget is the reason he's asking us to do things is so that we would obey. He's not asking to get stuff from us. God doesn't need anything, including you. He doesn't need anything. He's a loving, caring God who has such compassion for you 
and for me. And for us, his children, as we are his followers, he, he wants us to bless, he wants to bless us. He wants us to walk through life and avoid the pit. That's why he says, do this, avoid the pitfalls that we fall into. He doesn't want us to hit detours that take weeks, months, or even years out of our lives. That's why he wants obedience, because he loves us and wants the best for us. Erwin McManus put it this way, Erwin Pastors Mosaic Church in California. He said, you can tell the maturity of a person between the distance of the command of God and the obedience in other words, when God gives a command, how quickly we, we obey. If, if that time span is short, then that person is mature. If that time span is huge, well, that's a spiritually immature person. I hate this quote because it reveals too much about me. I'm sometimes the slowest sucker there is. God says, I want you to do this. And he, he, here's... I stop and I think about God's asking this, okay, maybe it's a coincidence. Or what are the other alternatives? Or, and I start to make a list of other things. And the reality is if I don't do it right away, I talk myself out of it. I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe you're better than I am. But I know all too often that happens with me. God says, I want you to do this. And either our response can be, you know, I don't want to, or I'll do it later, or, or I'll get to it. Which brings me to my second point. You can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. And Jonah, and some of you know exactly what I mean when I say that. that you, can, you can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. You've come out of drunk addiction, you're doing so well. And it's so easy to misstep and end up back there. You're struggling with an issue in your life, and it's so easy to miss, misstep and end up back on. See, you were on this path, and then now you're on another path. And this path has a different destination. We, 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 can, we can be moving forward with our finances and doing, doing so well, and, then, and then, then we missed up and there's a shopping spree, and oh my gosh, we, how, did, how did this even happen? Jonah says, I don't want anything to do with those people. And God says, I want you to go and preach to the Ninevites. But verse 3, Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed towards Tarshish. He headed the opposite. He went down to Joppa. He was in Jerusalem. God wanted him to go to, to, go, go to Nineveh. He was in Jerusalem. He goes a short distance the other way to Joppa, gets on a ship, sailing away from the direction God sent him where he found a ship for that port. Paying the fare, he went on board and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. That is east and it's dry land. Jonah says, I'm not doing it. I'm going west and I'm going to get on a ship and go further west. 
Is there clarity here about what God's saying and what God wants to happen and what Jonah's decision is? God, I, I know that's what you want, but, and we're, and we're just unwilling. We're just unwilling. And, and you know, it's like we, we, can, we can come to church and, and, then, we'll, and then, then we'll miss a Sunday and then, then we'll miss... That will come and then we'll miss a couple of Sundays and then, and then weeks or months or, or sometimes years have gone by and we're thinking, I, I, I guess I ought to get back to church. Well, I haven't read my Bible in, I can't, I can't remember the last time I read my Bible. And, and yet, God is a God who loves to speak. But you know what we do? We drift. We drift. Distance between ourselves and God happens, and we drift. See, growing up as a kid and even a teenager, we used to go out to Jones's Beach on Long Island. It went to Rockaway sometime, but a lot of times if you, you wanted to go to a really night, you went to Jones's Beach. Went out to Jones Beach, and, and, and I, see, I don't know, I, I don't think in Arizona we get the whole beach thing. Because I go to the lake and I find rocks everywhere. There's just rocks all around the side. When, when we go to the beach, there was nothing but nice sand up and down the whole east coast. Nothing but nice sand. And when you go to the beach, you bring your blanket in and you, you spread your blanket out and you have to put something heavy on all the corners because otherwise the wind will flip it up and then there'll be a whole other story or somebody sand gets all over your blanket and that's like the world is coming to an end. So you spread your blanket out and, and you place it there. And, and I remember this one time, we placed our blanket a little bit out in front of where the lifeguard stand was. You know, this big wooden chair and umbrella and that's where the lifeguard, you couldn't miss this. So we, so we knew where our blanket was. We went out into the water, and we're swimming. We're having a great time. We're just, here's what happens on most of the beaches on the East Coast. You see, there's a riptide, and there's a pull, and, and, and it, it will pull you away. And, and so you, you're caught up in your swimming. And, and I remember one time we're, 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 we're decided, you know what, let's get out for a while. And we, get, we come out of the water, and we're looking onto the land, and where is the lifeguard stand? It was way down there. And we had to go all the way back. We had no idea how far we had drifted. And as, as we're following Christ, and God asks us to do things, and we, we, we kind of we struggle with it, what happens is we begin to drift. And we find ourselves in a totally different place. Drifting. We've allowed space to come between us and God. And Jonah was right. Drifting, he was running from God. He was separating himself from God. Like we, we separate ourselves from God. And when that happens, God may actually send a storm to get our attention. He, he just may allow a storm. Look what it says in Jonah 1, verse 4. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. These were sailors. This was a ship that sailed back and forth on that sea. 
carrying passengers, carrying cargo. It's what it did over and over again. This was a strong ship. They had never seen a storm like this one. It was so violent that they turned to Jonah and said, who are you and what have you done? You see, when the storm got as bad as it did, they actually were throwing the cargo. You got to read the story. They were throwing the cargo overboard. They were doing everything they could to save the ship. But things were so bad, they recognized that, that God was involved in this. Jonah himself told them that he was running from God. Jonah answered, I am the Hebrew. I am the Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and who made the land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them that. You know what Jonah's doing here? Listen to this, church. He's recognizing that it's his fault. It's my fault that this storm is here, Jonah says. It's my fault that this is going on. I thought, I th some of you are going to relate to this. I thought I was having my own private rebellion against God. I, I thought that this, this is just affecting my life. It's not affecting anybody else. This is just my life. And Jonah recognizes, wait a minute. It's affecting the people around you. Sometimes we're caught in life, church, and we're having our personal rebellion with God, and we think that it's just us and God, and we're the ones that are in this, and nobody else is affected. And sometimes, Dad, your whole family is waiting on you. And sometimes, Mom, your whole family is waiting on you because everybody else is affected. And this ship is going down. When you're doing what's good and what's right, you are doing so much more good than you could ever imagine. But you can flip that around, and when you're doing bad and what's wrong, you are doing so much more damage than you could ever imagine. That's why it is so good that you're sitting here this morning. It's a bigger deal than you realize. Being in a life group is a bigger deal than you realize. Giving and serving, it is so much bigger than we realize. Look what he says. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault. No longer, this is my own personal little rebellion against God. It is never your own personal little rebellion against God. I know it's my fault. And this great storm has come to you because of me. Jonah's worst enemy, his worst nightmare rather, his worst nightmare actually becomes exactly what he needs. This storm, the worst thing that could ever happen, 
becomes exactly what he needs. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly revered the Lord. They greatly revered the Lord. You know what they did? They recognized that he was God. And he had all power. He had all knowledge. They recognized God for who he is. And it goes on to say, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to him. They changed the direction of their life and they began to do what God was asking them to do. And then it goes on to say, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. I can remember hearing this story growing up as a kid. And all I'm thinking about is inside the fish. That must stink. That is not a good place to be. And that fish is swimming around. There are probably hubcaps from cars banging them in there. There's probably all kinds of stuff going on. This is how my mind was working. He's inside this fish three days and three nights. And in Jonah chapter 2, the whole chapter, chapter 2, is all about Jonah praying inside the fish. Oddly enough, I would think that he's trying to bargain with God. That's not what the whole prayer is about. The whole prayer is about him being thankful. When you're, when you're in your worst nightmare, when you're in the belly of a fish, that'll change your thinking. You'll think differently than you did when you were running from God. The whole prayer, he's being thankful. He's just come through the worst storm of the century. Now he's in the belly of the fish. In Jonah chapter 3, Jonah actually obeys the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh, and he begins preaching what God asked him to preach. He tells them, 40 days. In 40 days, if you don't change, God is going to overthrow you. He's going to wipe you out. And what does Nineveh do? It responds to Jonah's message, and it turns to God. And everything from that point forward just follows through. And Jonah, listen, Jonah actually gets ticked at God because they did this. It, you got to read the story. And then God says to Jonah, 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 these people in Nineveh, they don't, they don't know anything. He actually says, they don't, know the, they don't know their left hand from their right hand. In New York, we would have probably phrased that differently. But he says, they don't know their left hand from their right hand. And yet, I love them that much. You think God doesn't care about you? His compassion is so clear in the story of Jonah. But let's go back. To chapter 1, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. He's in his worst nightmare. And sometimes when you're facing your worst nightmare, 
when you're up against the wall financially and you say, I'm done, I'm just done. When your relationship has gone south and it's just a mess and you say, you know what, I'm I'm just finished. When your health is at a place where you don't know where to turn, I'm I'm done. And and, and we rebel against God and, and, and we think, I'm just having my own personal. It's never my own personal rebellion. I got to tell you something, guys. I, I don't believe that God brings bad things into our lives. Most of the bad things in our lives, if we were honest, we brought on ourselves or somebody else did something to bring it on. I, I don't believe God brings bad things. It's just not in his nature. It's just not who he is. But sometimes, sometimes we are so far out there that God actually has to send a storm to shake up our world so that he can get our attention. When we are in what we would consider our worst nightmare, when we are living in a situation that we, we feel like is our worst nightmare, Sometimes, see, God God so often allows things, but there are even times that God will send a storm because he loves you so much that getting you back where you need to be, and only he knows what that is going to take. And he, listen, he loves us so much that he pursued us sent his son to die for us, paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be back in his family, so that we could be in his family, that we could be a part of his family. He loves us so much that he took us no matter what shape or condition we were in, but he loves us so much that he is dead set on not allowing us to stay in that condition. And he's at work in our lives, bringing us in, drawing us closer to him. But but, but, but James, there's there's a lot of hypocrites in church. Uh Uh-huh. You know, Zig Ziglar said something one time that I absolutely love. Zig said, if you're allowing a hypocrite to keep you from getting closer to God, If you're allowing a hypocrite to be in the middle, to to be standing in the way of you getting closer to God, the hypocrite is actually closer to God than you are. Your Savior and my Savior is drawing us. And the word of the Lord, time after time, guys, as we're sitting here in church, as we're opening up his word, as we're spending time with him, spending time with our family, we know that that God is saying, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. Or I want you to do this. I, I know they hurt you, but I want you to forgive them. In other words, I want you to do this so that I can do this. 
and the this is so much bigger, greater than you and I could ever imagine. It always is. Because that's his nature. That's who he is. Stand with me this morning. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for in, in, including Jonah. In, including Jonah's life story. The, the big deal of his life in your word so that, so that we could benefit from it. Lord, I know that our, in our church family, I, I, know that, I know that what you're doing in some of our lives is you're speaking about a specific thing or issue. I pray, Father, that we would respond I pray that the presence of your Holy Spirit and your strength in our lives would cause us to rise up and commit. Commit to doing what you're asking us to do, to be willing to be obedient and move forward. And in so, break all the shackles for the things that you want to do in our lives do it in your name we ask, in your name we pray. And just before I step off the stage, let me just give you an opportunity. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, and you'd like to do that this morning. I would encourage you to do that. You, you do that by simply believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came as a baby on Christmas, and, and then on Easter we celebrate him right, raising from the dead after they crucified him and nailed him to a tree. And he did that so that he could be our Savior, so that he could be specifically your Savior. If you've never done that with every head bowed, every eye closed, just simply put your hand up say, you know what, James, I want to do that this morning and put it right back down. Go ahead. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Father, thank you. Lord, bless our church family as we step out of this building, as we continue to worship you here this morning, and then we head into our Sunday, and then into our Monday, and on through the week. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen.